Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic Sea Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by coronatools.com, the nation's leader in garden and landscaping tools. Listeners of the Organic View can receive 20% off their coronatools.com purchase by using the coupon code ORGVIEW. That's O-R-G-V-I-E-W. For more promotional offers, please visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. And don't forget to check out our contest section. Are GMO pesticides supertoxins? Most educated consumers are opting to buy non-GMO products because of concerns about how GMOs impact their health. On today's show, Dr. Jonathan Latham will be my guest to talk about a new analysis which focuses on the toxicological consequences of GMBT toxins in food and in the environment. So I'd like to welcome to the show Dr. Jonathan Latham. Good afternoon and welcome back to the show. Hi, June. Dr. Latham, before we begin, can you share with our listeners a little bit about your work? Sure. So I am the executive director of a nonprofit called the Bioscience Resource Project, and we are, among other things, the publishers of a website called Independent Science News. And part of our work, which I think we're going to talk about today, is uh, writing papers for the scientific literature to fill in information gaps. And often places where scientists don't want to go because, you know, there are career penalties, for example, for discussing uh, certain kinds of issues. And so that's what we're, why we wanted to talk about uh, BT toxins. Thank you. I'd like to ask you a couple of basic questions just so that some of the folks that are out there that are either new to this subject or don't quite understand some of these terms can have a better understanding of what they are. Mm. Could you explain what a GMO is? Sure. So, you know, a normal plant breeding involves the sexual reproduction between species. So pollen and uh, and ovules get together and you can create new varieties that way. And this is just a speeded up version of what nature does already. So genetic engineering is taking uh, lengths of DNA uh, from various organisms, stitching them together to make a genetic unit, if you like, a sort of artificial gene that that you hope will function in a new organism that you put it in. And basically you can take DNA from pretty much any organism and put it into pretty much any crop. And basically the way that you do that, once you stitch together your piece of DNA, you put it onto a particle or you put it into a bacterium, there's basically two ways of making a genetically engineered plant. The one is to, to put this DNA onto a particle, and you shoot the particle into a piece of plant tissue that has been kept on a Petri dish for a couple of weeks. So uh, once it's been on there for a couple of weeks, it's uh, probably usually a leaf tissue, that it becomes receptive to regeneration and what it can do is take up the DNA that you shoot in on the particle, and, and the particle is basically damaged DNA on its way through the leaf tissue. It's basically damaged the DNA, 
and the DNA of the plant, the host plant, has to repair itself. And so it takes any DNA that it can find, and you've just supplied some on a particle, and so, so it will take that DNA and it will repair the injury to the chromosome. And then you, uh, those plant, those leaf tissues, you can transfer them onto a special medium of hormones, which causes the plant, those leaf cells to start to become new plants. So they start to produce a, sort of a flower bud or a bud, and then they start to produce roots. And they basically, the tissue grows from being a piece of leaf into a whole plant. And that whole plant will have the DNA in it that you put in, that came in on the particle, or that was transferred into there um, from the bacterium. And so you can then breed from that plant by the normal breeding process. And that is how, how uh, companies do it these days for the most part. Can you explain what BT toxins are and how they work? Yeah, so, so BT toxins are taken from a bacterium called uh, Bacillus thuringiensis. So Bacillus thuringiensis is a, uh, a bacterial species that is a gut pathogen of insects and many other organisms. So, and that bacterium produces toxins that make holes in the gut lining of organisms that it lives in. So basically, it hangs around in the soil as a spore, and then it gets taken up by an insect or a slug or a nematode or some, some uh, organism crawling around, and the spore germinates and releases a toxin, and this toxin is uh, basically makes holes in your uh, in gut membranes. So what it and that allow, what that allows is for the bacterium to basically invade the body tissues of the organism that's eaten it, and then it can reproduce. It basically kills the organism and lives on the dying and decayed tissues. So the protein itself, so the toxin itself, is actually a protein. So it's quite unusual. So most toxins. Uh, in the world, and synthetic pesticides, for example, they are all small molecules, small soluble molecules, like uh, things like chlorpyrifos or DDT. Uh, these are small synthetic chemicals that can be made in a in a in a vat. But BT toxins are proteins that cannot be made except by living organisms. And so, but what that makes means is that they're very useful for making uh, genetically engineered crops. Because as you probably know, DNA makes, RNA makes protein. That means if you can find the piece of DNA that encodes those proteins, you can, you can uh, cause the genetically engineered plant, so you've, done, you've basically changed it in the way that I was suggesting earlier. Uh, you can basically insert that DNA and the plant will start to produce the proteinaceous toxin. And this protein toxin when it's expressed in the leaves and the corn tissues or the roots or whatever plant tissue uh, it's in, it will kill insect pests or other pests that, that eat that tissue. Thank you. In regards to some of the health issues that many people are experiencing pertaining to gut health, mm -hmm. do you think that it's possible that consumption of any type of product that contains genetically modified ingredients is contributing to issues 
in the human gut which is making that particular food indigestible or creating other issues such as fatigue or um, other health-related issues? Uh, I do think it's possible. I don't think our research proves it, but what our, what our analysis uh, essentially does is make it uh, more possible or makes it more possible to understand what would be a theoretical mechanism by which uh, these toxins could uh, affect the human gut or, or membranes that exist in the human uh, in the human body. So, the, what our research uh, has shown is that uh, if you take these uh, GMO toxins and you express them in a transgenic plant, so in a crop plant like a corn or a soybean, uh, what those proteins are, are different from the naturally occurring toxins that exist in nature, that the Bacillus thuringiensis bacteria makes itself. So the big story that the uh, biotech industry likes to share about these pesticides is that, uh, so, you know, everybody knows that these are, or many people know, informed people know that, that GMO crops, uh, many of them are producing a pesticide. And that pesticide is the BT toxin, the protein that I was just talking about. But what the uh, industry says is that these proteins are natural and, uh, and the, naturally, the natural uh, toxicological limitations of those proteins mean that those proteins cannot uh, cause any harm to people. Now, uh, that may be true for the naturally occurring proteins, although there's some evidence that it's not true. But we can go into that separately. But even if it was true for the naturally occurring molecules, we can still ask the question, is it also true for the proteins that the companies like Monsanto and Syngenta and Dow have put into these, uh, the GMO crops? Right? And so we decided to look at the differences between naturally occurring and uh, GMO toxins, and we found there were a lot of differences. And what those differences appear to do, and in some cases there's excellent evidence that they do actually do this, is those differences have allowed protein toxins, which have a very uh, narrow host range, to actually become uh, protein toxins with a broad host range. So, so the Basically, the whole uh, safety premise of these toxins is putting them into, you know, basically if you put GMO toxins into a crop, then you're basically eating a pesticide, right? So if you're eating a pesticide, the EPA wants to know, or they certainly ought to know, whether that pesticide is safe for people to eat or not. Because ordinarily, the presumption about pesticides is that they're not safe. You shouldn't actually be eating any of them. Some of them are not safe at any dose. And so, so the, what the companies have been arguing this whole time is that the proteins they put into these, plants are, into these plants are just the same as the natural ones, and the natural ones have a limited host range. And what our research shows is that what in many cases the companies have done is they've taken off the parts of those proteins that actually limit their host range. So... It's a, essentially, it's like having a sheath on a sword. So you have a toxin, for example, 
that is, in a sense, as dangerous as a sword, right? It basically will kill any cell that it comes in contact with or will damage any membrane that it comes into contact with. So that is the, the if you remember, that is the, the mode of action of these toxins is to make holes in membranes, right? If you make a hole in the membrane of any cell, that cell becomes compromised and may well die as a consequence of that. And if you make four or 40 holes in them, it will definitely die. And so that is how these toxins work. And so, so in order for them not to make holes in the wrong place, for example, imagine the, the bacterium, it also it produces these toxins, but it doesn't want to have holes made in its own membranes. So that is why the, the bacterium stores the toxin as a crystal, right? They're called also, their other name is cryproteins, and they're, they're crystals. They're very unusual protein crystals. But the versions expressed in the GMO plants are not crystals, right? So, so the toxicological difference here is that you have a molecule that makes holes in proteins, and if you eat a naturally occurring crystal, you cannot dissolve that because your stomach does not have the right pH and so forth. It doesn't have the right conditions to dissolve that toxin. If you eat a GMO a BT toxin, you're, uh, you can actually process that toxin. And when you process that toxin, it becomes a toxicologically active version of the protein. So, so basically it's stored as an inactive form and it has to be processed. And what the companies have done by putting them into GMOs is allow them to be processed. So what that means for your, uh, you know, your question about the toxicological consequences of these proteins is that we have allowed the companies to put into GMO crops uh, proteins that have the potential to make holes in your gut. And so... Holes in the gut are a bad idea in, in general terms. The, the gut maintains a very tight control over the kind of molecules that enter into it because you don't want, for example, uh, you know, entire bacteria getting into your bloodstream. You don't want uh, um, uh, proteins that are uh, antigens and so forth that are small pieces of uh, gluten and so forth. You don't want those to enter your gut, what you want to enter your bloodstream, rather. What you want to enter into your bloodstream is, is molecules and, and, uh, and pieces of DNA, for example, that are fully processed so they can't harm you, right? So the more processing your gut does before molecules enter the bloodstream, the less harm you're likely to come to from those molecules. And so if, if BT proteins put holes in your gut, then they will compromise it. And if you have a compromised gut, then you can suffer from allergies. Then molecules that shouldn't get into your gut will get into it, will get into the bloodstream and so forth. And so there is a potential that creates what our research does is create an understanding of how what supposedly is a safe pesticide is actually an unsafe pesticide because it's been put into a GMO. In regards to the proteins that are crystals that cannot be processed by the body, mm -hmm. how does the body flush that out? Well, basically, uh, you know, there are certain molecules that can just go right, pass right through you, you know, like uh, undigested corn seeds or something like that. They would just pass right through you. So they wouldn't, they would never, they would never enter the gut. 
They would never be taken up by the by the cells that line the gut, for example. Okay, so the body would just excrete it. Yep. It wouldn't have any impact on the kidneys. Yep, yep. It would just pass right through you. It would be like eating a piece of uh, sand. Yep. Thank you. The term supertoxins is something that almost seems to be a prized phrase used by industry. Could you explain what they are and why this is something that really needs to be more widely addressed, especially by the regulatory system? Well, I would I would say supertoxins are no one thing, right? It's it's a descriptive term uh, that we we use it because uh, Monsanto used it in a patent in which they they so they basically they Monsanto has been attempting to make new and interesting versions of these uh, BT toxins, and but they want to pass them off with regulators as being uh, novel uh, as being as being not as being novel as being uh, essentially the same as the wild versions and the, the natural versions of these proteins. But they but if when it comes to making a patent, you can't say to the patent office there's nothing new and interesting about these uh, toxins. You have to say there's something interesting about the way they kill pests or their concentration needed to kill pests and so forth. And so. So what the companies have done in 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 the real world is they've taken these proteins, the BT toxins, and they've changed the DNA that encodes them to make versions that are more powerful in different ways than the naturally occurring toxins. And so they're very honest about this in patents, right? Because that's what a patent office needs to hear in order to grant a patent. But this is the kind of thing that you can't say in a risk of biosafety risk assessment because it would make it sound as if uh, you firstly you don't know what you're doing, uh, but secondly that these proteins have have uh, an expanded uh, toxicological host range, and that toxicological host range might include mammals, it might include livestock, it might include people even, and so this is an admission that the the um, uh, that the companies don't want to make in their uh, biosafety applications to, uh, for example, the European Food Safety Authority or to the Australia New Zealand food safety people. And so, so basically, Monsanto called its new, some of its new uh, BT toxins, supertoxins, to the patent, U.S. Patent Office, but they didn't use any such term when they applied to EPA for their use as a pesticide, for example. Thank you. What can we do as citizens to confront the criminality of this situation? Well, you know, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know specifically what is the the criminal uh, activity that you would that you would accuse uh, companies of. I suspect negligence would be a reasonable. Uh, uh, word to use, criminal negligence. So, I mean, I would argue that uh, the companies know that they're producing toxins that are quite likely much more toxic than the than they are letting on in public in their biosafety applications. And so, what they have to 
so you know i would i would guess that that is uh criminally negligent behavior but i don't actually know that from a from a uh loyally perspective but i would say that it is extremely negligent from a scientific uh perspective you know there's no need for these uh toxins and uh you know the only reason for them really is to make profits we can grow crops that don't uh you know we have other basically other ways to deal with pests the other ways to to grow uh healthy and productive crops we have other agricultural systems that can deal with these deal with these problems and so uh you know i would say that in general the the allowing of um uh pesticides onto the market is an incredibly negligent thing also uh by on the part of EPA for example government regulators deserve at least as much blame as the companies do you know if a company if you imagine it's legitimate for a company to make the best product that it can then we do have a system in which the EPA or other regulators are are entrusted with the opportunities and the legal powers to prevent those products coming to the market if they think those products are not uh safe but those uh legislate those uh agencies do not use the powers that they have actually to confront the companies and make sure that products that are harmful or possibly harmful come to the market thank you just to recap if any of our listeners wish to educate family friends what have you what are some of the main points that they should remember when it comes to GMOs? Well, in the case of BT GMOs, these proteins are not natural, right? So so the big story that the companies like to share is that uh, the proteins that they put into, the pesticides that they put into GMO crops are natural. And the hour, uh, what, we, what we show in this paper is that there's no reasonable way to argue that these are natural proteins. They are so wildly different from the naturally occurring versions that uh, calling them natural is completely unreasonable. And so, you know, that's a, that is, in a sense, is a safety claim. Right? That's a safety claim that the companies are making that uh, essentially they don't need much regulation. So, but in terms of, um, you know, GMOs in general, the safety issues of GMOs are, in general, that they contain a lot of synthetic pesticides, that they encourage the use of synthetic pesticides, and that uh, they also have health and safety issues all of their own. And I would say that uh, this BT issue is a potentially very, very major uh, public health uh, concern. Dr. Latham, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Could you just take a moment and share your website with our listeners so that if they care to donate to support your research, they could do so? Yes, you're welcome, June. So, um, yes, you know, we have a website called uh, www.independentsciencenews.org. So that's I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-E-N-T. At science s c i e n c e n e w s dot o r g. So you can find that uh, website quite easily uh, online by searching those uh, those uh, letters. Uh, 
but uh yes we would love donations you know the the uh the most of the 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 dominant model of the media in this country and many other places is basically that that they collect advertising in order not to share stories about companies that the companies would rather not share right so it's kind of a shakedown and that business model does not work for us because we're prepared to tell whatever we hear about whoever we hear it about. And so essentially there's no point in anybody advertising on our website. And so we don't take adverts and we don't take money from uh, corporations. And uh, essentially we're an independent website that operates on a shoestring budget. But uh, I hope, you know, I like to think that we bring some of the most interesting and amazing stories that are on the whole internet, and uh, and so we would uh, we would really welcome uh, reader support. It really makes a huge difference, firstly for us to morally know that people actually support what we do, but secondly that there are expenses with uh, hosting a website. And even though our budget is just a few thousand dollars a year, uh, you know we really uh, we could even do better with uh, with more money. And so we would really appreciate that. And in the past, I see you re- readers have cited uh, your, uh, your, your name, June, when they've given us donations, and we really appreciate that. Well, it means a lot to me, especially since the Organic View has been around for over 10 years now, and we have a global audience of over 3 million listeners. And quite like you, we're very particular about any support that we do receive, and our job is to truly educate the public. So thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. I know that it's a lot of work. It's very tough work to do, but it's so incredibly important to our own existence. Uh, so thank you once again, and I sincerely hope that you do come back um, when you have more research to share with the listeners. Oh, we, we soon will. But thanks very much, June. You're very welcome. And folks, Please check out the companion article, which will appear on theorganicview.com, which will also provide the link to Dr. Latham's website and also a place where you can make a donation. Thank you for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon.